Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this Lord's Day that we can come to your house as sinners, saved by grace, washed in the blood of the Lamb, made saints of God. We thank you, Father, for the lessons that we have learned walking with Abraham and Sarah and seeing, Lord, your amazing grace, seeing their human frailty and sin, seeing your faithfulness to uphold their faith even as they stumble, even as they err. Lord, you are mighty to save, and you are the author and the finisher of our faith, and we are encouraged as we look to Abraham and Sarah, Lord, encouraged by your loving hand upon us as our Father, for you will not let us go, you will not let us out of your hand, you will not let us out from under the blood of your Lamb that you have provided. And so, Father, we thank you for Abraham and Sarah and what you have taught us and will teach us yet today through them. And Lord, may all that we learn ultimately point us unto Jesus and his shed blood, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his conquering of sin and Satan and death on behalf of sinners. And Lord, may we celebrate his broken body and shed blood with great joy, not because we are perfect, but because he is perfect and he is perfecting us. Having washed us with his blood, he is washing us now with the word of God, renewing our minds. Grant us ready reception of that word, we pray, for your glory and our blessing, and that we might be a blessing to our fellow man. We pray it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. We are in Genesis chapter 22. The title of the message today is Perseverance of the Saints. Perseverance of the Saints, subtitled God's Preservation of the Saints and Perfecting of Their Faith. Before we deal with Genesis chapter 22, we must go back briefly to chapter 21. Some of you may caught on that I did not finish dealing with chapter 21. So I want to start with chapter 21, verse 22, to the end of that chapter, and then we'll transition to chapter 22. And I think the two tie in together nicely. So chapter 21, verse 22, read with me there. And it came to pass at that time that Abimelech and Fickle, the commander of his army, spoke to Abraham, saying, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me by God that you will not deal falsely with me, with my offspring or with my posterity, but that according to the kindness that I have done to you, you will do to me and to the land in which I have dwelt. And Abraham said, I will swear. Then Abraham rebuked Abimelech because of a well of water which Abimelech's servants had seized. And Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, nor had I heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two of them made a covenant. And Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves. Then Abimelech asked Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs which you have set by themselves? And he said, You will take these seven ewe lambs from my hand, that they may be a witness that I have dug this well. Therefore he called that place Beersheba, because the two of them swore an oath there. 
Thus they made a covenant at Beersheba. So Abimelech rose with Fickle, the commander of his army, and they returned to the land of the Philistines. Then Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines many days. And so this is the close of chapter 21, which was an eventful chapter. Uh, Isaac was born, the promised heir was born, the heir through whom ultimately the Lord Jesus Christ would be born, the heir through whom ultimately Israel, the nation, would be born. This heir is born and Ishmael is put out. That's the, the high point of Genesis 21, that the son of promise has come. And the son of bondage, the son of the bondage woman or bond woman, is put out. And the son of promise, Isaac, is the picture of all those who will come by the grace of God to faith in Jesus Christ and salvation in him. And the son of the bond woman, Ishmael, is a picture of all those who will seek righteousness through their own works, who will seek to bring about peace with God and the plan of God through their own deeds, and tragically fail. At the end of Genesis 21, we return to Abimelech, who you may recall is the king, the second king, that briefly received Abraham's wife, Sarah, until he realized, by the grace of God, that this indeed was not Abraham's sister, but Abraham's wife. And Abimelech was rightly put out over this and brought rebuke to both Abraham and Sarah. And now we find a bit, a bit later in Abimelech's life and Abraham's both, Abimelech coming to him with his army and saying, God is with you in all that you do. And it, it, this is amazing. This is Astounding grace, I hope, even upon Abimelech, that through this often erring prophet of God, this often erring patriarch, Abraham, that God's glory yet shined through, that God's message yet shined through. And that gives me hope for each of you and for me. We are imperfect messengers. We are imperfect ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ, of our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And yet the Lord communicates perfectly to those whom he's calling to himself through imperfect vessels and our imperfect lives and our imperfect delivery of his perfect message. And so Abimelech comes saying, God is with you in all that you do. That would seem to be a statement of faith. He doesn't say your God. He doesn't say a God. He says God, as in the God, is with you in all that you do. He doesn't come praising Abraham, saying you are amazing. You are a shining light in the darkness of this world, Abraham. Rather, he comes and says, God is with you. In all that you do, God is blessing you. God has his hand upon you. Now, therefore, swear to me by God, 
again, seemingly the God, not a God, amongst many gods, but now swear to me by God that you will not deal falsely with me, with my offspring or with my posterity, but that according to the kindness that I have done to you, you will do to me in the land in which you have dwelt. Again, God here is glorified and Abraham is humbled. And we are humbled with him. Because Abimelech rightly has a distrust of Abraham. And thus says, swear to me, you'll not deal with me falsely. Based upon his previous dealing with Abraham. And it's amazing to me, it's, it's really glorious to me to see that in God's grace to Abimelech, Abimelech does not do what so many sinners do and say, look, Abraham, you're a wretch, therefore your God is a wretch or non-existent or just like all the other gods of men. But rather the glory of God, the magnificence of God, the godness of God shines through Abraham's life and testimony, regardless of Abraham's imperfections. And Abimelech doesn't use Abraham's former treachery as an excuse to deny God, but rather cause to plead with Abraham that this time he'll deal with him honestly. Verse 24, and Abraham said, I will swear. Then Abraham rebuked Abimelech because of a well of water which Abimelech's servants had seized, which I find interesting. He is bold. He is bold. And I praise God for that boldness. Past failure does not negate future service, necessarily. Uh, Past failure does not negate speaking truth with, with strength. When there's been repentance, and I trust there is repentance here by all evidences, right? The narrative only tells us so much. There is so much more to the story. He is confident of his position with the Lord, and he's confident even of his position with Abimelech. And he speaks with that confidence here regarding this well of water that had been seized. But let me say this, I think he's more confident in God and God's plan, even as Abimelech had said, that God is with you. I think Abraham feels the the mantle of his role as the patriarch, as the father of Isaac and Jacob to come and Israel to come and Jesus, the Lamb of God, to come. And thus, he isn't just feeling his own self-worth and saying, hey, that's my well, but rather this is God's well. And therefore, I will defend that well on behalf of God and God's people, whom I represent. And as you consider Israel's struggle down through the ages for their land and their waters with all the other nations of the earth, this is kind of a precursor to that. Abimelech says, look, I I don't know who has done this thing. You haven't told me before. I haven't heard of it until today. Abimelech really does seem to be An honest man. Verse 27, So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech. The two of them made a covenant. And he gives them the seven ewe lambs to be a witness. 
that the well is the well that he has dug that belongs to him. And they call it Beersheba, which again is a witness of this, literally meaning a well of oath or a well of seven. And the covenant is established. Therefore, Abimelech and his general depart back to the land of the Philistines. And there, verse 33 closes, saying, There Abraham called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. The everlasting God. The God who is Alpha and Omega. The God who is everlasting to everlasting. The God who is the great I Am. The eternal existent one dependent upon nothing. This is the God that was with Abraham and is with, as spiritual descendants of Abraham, you and I. Verse 34, And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines many days, and that chapter closes. Chapter 22, again the title of this message, Perseverance of the Saints. And you see how it ties into the previous chapter. The Lord upheld His saint. Why is Abraham persevering? Because God is preserving Not because of any innate goodness in Abraham, but because of the innate goodness of the everlasting God. His God. The only God there is. The God that Abimelech seems to have come to some level of faith in. I hope saving faith. I hope you'll meet him and some of Abimelech's descendants one day. Perseverance of the saints. God's preservation of his saints and perfecting of their faith. First point, Abraham's test. Verse 1, read with me there, please. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on the mountains of which I shall tell you. Can you imagine the horror? Sometimes we read the Bible in such a manner as that we're just putting in our time. We're just doing our devotion. We're just reading a certain number of chapters. But we're not pausing long enough to think through long enough what's taking place in those chapters that we might feel it as a father, as a mother, as a son. Now it came to pass after these things, after the Son of Promise was finally born, after the Son of the Bondwoman is put out, after that Son of Promise has grown and been weaned, he has become a young man. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. I would say, in so many ways, all of Abraham's life has been a test. Since the Bible first began to record the story of Abraham's life, we find God calling him in Genesis 12 out of his land, away from his family, away from his people, to go to a distant land in a lawless world where there are no guarantees that the people of that land will receive you and not kill you. That the people of that land will allow you to take some of their land 
for your flocks and not kill you and take your flocks, that the people of that land will allow you to live there peaceably and not take your wife and your daughters and enslave your sons. And so Abraham has been walking by faith and the Bible shows his frailties and at times his foolishness faithfully, honestly, and yet he makes it to that glorious hall of faith that is in your bulletin again today for good reason. That hall of faith and God's faithfulness found in Hebrews chapter 11. He makes it there rightly. And again, I caution you in our own pride, in our own arrogance, in our own folly, we would read of Abraham, we would read of Sarah and so many other men and women in Scripture and pass ready judgment upon them. And the reality is, if our lives were put on the pages of Scripture, there would be dark marks and evident folly and foolishness as well. For salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, not the strength of our character, but God's character, not the strength of our faithfulness, but God's faithfulness. And so Abraham's faith has been tested many times over, and he has walked by faith. He left his people. He left his home. He left everything to follow God. He went to a distant and foreign land to follow God, believing God, trusting God. And in Genesis 12, it explicitly says that he believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness, salvation by grace alone. God called him. Abraham was a pagan amongst pagan nations. And God called him to himself. And God gifted him faith. And Abraham expressed that faith. He believed God and obeyed God and followed God, albeit imperfectly. And here we find the supreme test of Abraham's faith. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. And every fiber in Abraham's being had to cry out, no, this is my son. The son I waited for year after year after year. The son that my dear wife waited for year after year after year. The son of promise. The son, even to whatever extent Abraham comprehended it, but I think he must have comprehended it to some extent. The son that humanity is waiting for. For through Isaac, the seed would come. The Savior. Jesus Christ. Then he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac. So God calls him Abraham. And Abraham has heard the voice of God. He knows this is God. This is not Satan. It's not some demon. It's not some man out in the darkness. It is God calling him Abraham. And he says, here I am. He readily answers the Lord. And God says, take now your son, 
And, and he could have stopped there. He could have just said, take your son. But he says, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. The Lord does not mean to make this test easy. He does not mean to make the weight of this test light. This is the test of tests. Will you give up that which you love most and love me more? Will you trust me? Even in the face of seeming insanity. Take now your son, your only son, Isaac. Ishmael is gone. Whom you love. And we can't miss even your only son, Isaac. Isaac, even his name, laughter. Laughter which initially was mockery, but then turned to joy. And Sarah said when he was born, now everyone will laugh with me. Your only son, the son whom you love, Isaac, the son of your laughter, the son of your joy. Take your only son, your son of joy, your son of laughter, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. God will specifically tell him. He will specifically guide him to a specific mountain. And you must know that the mountain he guides him to there in Moriah is the mountain where the temple mount sits today. It's the mountain where sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice was made, all depicting the great sacrifice to come, Jesus Christ And that is the very place where the Lord Jesus' foot will set down when he returns as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. As the Lamb of God and the conquering King. The Lion of the tribe of Judah. Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. A burnt offering. The horror Of this is unimaginable. Jameson Fawcett Brown's commentary says, By tempting, it is not meant to incite to sin, but trying, proving, giving occasion for the development of his faith. It was designed not as an experiment to ascertain whether and how far Abraham trusted God, but to bring out the faith which was so imminent a quality in his character and to full display to his praise, honor, and glory. And that is why God tests us. God was not testing whether or not Abraham had faith, whether or not Abraham was genuinely saved. God is the author and the finisher of our faith. God knows his own, and Abraham is most certainly his own. But God wishes to put Abraham's faith on display gloriously in this way, and God wishes to allow Abraham to be a picture of himself as he the father would offer up his own son. Only the son of God would not be spared. 
James chapter 1 verse 13 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. God does not tempt anyone to sin. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin when it is full grown brings forth death. Hear me, God does not tempt you or anyone else to sin, nor does even Satan ultimately in the final sense. Does Satan outwardly tempt sinners? Yes. But when you are tempted, when you desire to sin, and when you actually sin, there's only one being to blame, and that is self. Abraham's test. God tested Abraham, again, not to see if he had faith, and not even so much to see the quality of his faith, but to allow Abraham the opportunity under this incredible duress to put his faith on display and thus to put the gospel of Jesus Christ on display. First Peter chapter 1, verse 6 says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls." And so Peter explains quite clearly in 1 Peter 1, verses 6 through 9, this test that Abraham is enduring. It is meant, it is meant to be fire, tested by fire, that we might be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. To further magnify the Lord and His amazing grace. To put the faith that He has gifted us on display and that we would have greater joy in that redemption and in the presence of our Lord as He rewards us for that very faith that He gifted us. That He preserved us in. He will reward us for persevering in the faith that He preserved us in. (laughs) And we will cast those crowns of reward at His feet to His glory and honor. Dear saints, none of us, none of us, if we are genuinely Christ, none of us will escape the fire of testing. Now, I don't believe it's likely that we'll be called to this very test, but there will be a test. There will, in fact, be tests of our faith, opportunities to grow in faith, opportunities to put our faith on display to the glory of God. Yesterday, while at the abortion clinic ministering the Word of God for the salvation of souls, the rescuing of babies, a man contended for the euthanizing of suffering individuals. And we contended that we need to let God be God. God is the author of life. He gives, He takes away, 
And we need to let God be God and not end people's lives because we decide that an unborn child's quality of life won't be what it ought to be. Therefore, to help the child avoid suffering, we'll do the merciful thing and put the child to death in the womb of his or her mother. Trusting that the doctors were right in their diagnosis. And even post-birth, to do the merciful thing will put this individual to death. Not allow God in his time to allow that sparrow to fall. We went so far as to talk about extending death through unnatural means, machines and whatnot, or extending life, and that it's not necessary, biblically, morally, to extend death in the natural course of life. If it's God's time to take them, we don't have to hook them up to machines and keep them forever perpetually in a bed No, but we need to err on the side of life for the glory of God because our lives are for the glory of God. And we even tried to explain to this gentleman the value of suffering in faith for the glory of God and the value of that to those around you. And we talked to him about his wife and his children and his need to be saved individually, but his need to lead them unto the Savior. And when we have opportunity to suffer, we're putting our faith, the faith that God has gifted us, on display. We live in a culture that doesn't want to suffer. We have every kind of medicine, every kind of avenue, every kind of means possible to avoid suffering. We, we are a people, more than any people that has ever lived, that can avoid suffering. We, through technology, have developed a great many ways to avoid all kinds of suffering, and yet that has made us weak, and we suffer psychologically more, I think, than any people that has ever lived. People who have suffered far greater tragedies We're actually made strong through that, where we have been made weak. Think of Abraham's whole life, wandering the earth, living in tents. Think of Sarah's life with him. They didn't have flush toilets, ladies. They didn't have a grocery store to run to. They didn't have a bank account. They didn't have regular paychecks. There were no police they could call to protect them. There was no fire department. There was no ambulance that would come. There was no hospital they could go to. There was no army they could call upon. Their whole life was a life of faith and suffering. Suffering sickness. Suffering in childbirth. Suffering at death. And there was no hiding it, right? You live in tents. You hear the suffering. You aren't able to take your loved one to the mortician. Professionals don't show up and take the body away. You deal with that that body and the reality of death. And in so many ways, that is healthy. We've become so weak today that it is normal when 
any major event of life, and certainly the loss of a loved one takes place, professionals show up to give you a pill because you need to be medicated to not deal with this because you're not really dealing with it if you're covering up sorrow and loss with medication. You're only putting off the grieving process. Oh, that we would learn to walk in faith and embrace the test that God has ordained to increase our faith with faith, to expect tests of faith, to expect hardship that we might glorify God. Walking through that hardship in faith. For that is the Lord's Design not just for Abraham and Sarah, but for us all. First point, Abraham's test. Second point, Abraham's radical obedience. Verse 3, So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and he rose and went to the place which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off and Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we'll come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering he laid it on Isaac his son and he took the fire in his hand and a knife and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Abraham's radical obedience. So the Lord speaks, the Lord calls Abraham, Abraham, Abraham says, here I am. God says, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey. There's no question this is God. There's no question this is God's command. There's no question this is God's will. And I'm a follower of God. He doesn't hesitate. He doesn't confer with friends and family. He doesn't confer with some religious figure. He doesn't even confer with his wife, which is to the credit of his wisdom. For I cannot see Sarah letting him go. He does what a man must do, obey his God. Independent of what other men do, What other men decide, he knows this is God, he knows this is God's will, and he must obey his God. And so he rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering. He split the wood for the burnt offering of his son. If ever there was a sober wood-splitting outing, That was it. And he arose and went to the place of which God had told him. 
Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off, a three-day journey. Three-day journey. I can't help but think of the Lord Jesus three days in the tomb. I can't help but think of Jesus on a 33-year journey, his entire life marching toward the cross. It's a three-day journey. This is not a happy-go-lucky journey. We're carrying wood and fire and a knife to put Isaac, the son whom he loves, the son of his joy, the son who is his laughter on that altar as a burnt sacrifice. On the third day, they see the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. So Abraham rightly leaves the young men who, was, who came to help at the foot of the mountain and goes to obey the Lord, lest anyone stay his hand from obeying the Lord. But notice he says here, the lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. We will come back to you. Those are words of faith. Not deception. I do not believe he's deceiving them. Somehow, some way, he trusts the Lord that they will come back. Oh, friends, lead your children to God. Say to them and mean it, follow me as I follow Christ. And what may come does not matter, for you will come back. You will be together in eternity. You will be intact under the grace of God, alive forevermore. Verse 6, so Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. He took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father! (laughs) Isaac's a smart lad. He said, Here I am, my son. Notice throughout this entire account, son, 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 son. Now that's both just the simple reality And to impress upon us the weight of the sacrifice taking place. And one thing more, to stress upon us that Isaac is the picture of the Son of God. Who would be slain for the sins of the world. So Abraham says, here I am, my son. Then he said, look, the fire and the wood... But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham again did not lie, but said, My son, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. And God had already provided this miracle child, this child of promise this child of the covenant of salvation, Isaac, child of laughter, hope. 
My son God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. And God has done that. There is no lamb that we could give up. We couldn't save ourselves by giving up our children. We can't save ourselves by giving up our own precious life. We can't save ourselves by giving up certain foods on Friday. We can't save ourselves by giving up marriage. We can't save ourselves by living in a monastery and taking vows of silence. We can't save ourselves by strict adherence to the law and laws meant to help you obey the law and laws help you to help you to obey the laws that are meant to help you obey the laws, Phariseeism. There is no salvation in any of that. There is salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in the Son, the Lamb, that God would provide. My Son God will provide for Himself the Lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac his son and laid him upon the altar upon the wood, and Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Abraham was obeying God. Abraham believed God. Abraham trusted God. Not without pain. He's a man. He's a human being like you and I. He's a father. And he loves this dear and precious son, his only son. Yet he tied him, and he laid him upon that altar, and he took knife in hand, trusting the Lord that We will return to you, young men. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him. In a figurative sense. The supreme test. The supreme exhibition of Abraham's faith to the glory and honor and praise of God. That he would offer up his only begotten son. Of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called. Concluding, believing, trusting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead from which he also received him in a figurative sense. Since he took him to the precipice of death, he laid the wood, he tied the boy, he laid him upon the altar, he took knife in hand, Isaac was as good as dead. And hear me, if God had wanted to, he well could have and would have raised Isaac up by simply believe it was God's mercy to both father and son, Abraham and Isaac, that he stayed his hand at this point. Abraham's radical obedience. Abraham's test. And then we find God's radical provision. Verse 11 But the angel of the Lord called him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. The angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnate Christ, the angel of the Lord called him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. The first call was Abraham. Here I am. 
take your son, go to a mountain, sacrifice him. Abraham gets up early in the morning. He goes. Three days journey. Climbs that mountain. Takes up the knife. Now with urgency, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. An obedient response. A ready response. Here I am. Verse 12, and he said, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Now again, the Bible speaks in phenomenological language about the sun rising and about now I know that you fear God. Did God not already know? Well, yes, he knew. God is putting Abraham's fear of God, Abraham's faith in God on display. But when we fear God, when we have faith in God, by the grace of God, we obey God. We don't just call Jesus Lord, we obey Jesus as Lord. We don't just give lip service, we have life service, albeit imperfectly, right? Abraham's life is is a story of imperfection. And yet when push came to shove, when... This great test came, Abraham did not fail the test because Abraham was a genuine, born-again man of God. The angel of the Lord stays his hand. Do not lay your hand on the lad, nor do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Saints, in my over 20 years of pastoring, The vast number of people that dwelt with us for any time that later went apostate, went apostate because they would not give up their children. They went apostate because their children went apostate. They went apostate because their children embraced sin and unbelief and mom and dad chose their children over God. Instead of saying, follow me as I follow Christ and over my dead body will you go there? Over my dead body will you Leave the Lord, deny Him, defy Him, blaspheme Him. Instead, they join their rebel children and become rebels themselves. Abraham is the exact opposite. He's a true father, not an anti-father. May we be true biblical parents who discipline our children when they're young and as they grow. And as they become young adults who continually say, follow me as I follow Christ. And do not turn a blind eye to their sin like Hophni and Phinehas who were destroyed or join them in their sin. Oh, that we would live lives of radical obedience And find God's radical provision of grace more precious than a moment of peace with a rebel child. Verse 13, Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up 
for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. That same mountain is the mountain upon which the Lord will provide his only begotten son, Jesus, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, to rule over the nations. As God in flesh, lamb and lion, judge and savior. Verse 15, then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you. And multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they rose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham dwelt in Beersheba. The Lord reiterated his covenant with Abraham, the covenant that he first delivered unto him in Genesis chapter 12. Now the covenant is ratified. By myself I have sworn. The covenant before was sealed, now it's sworn. And it's ratified with blood, the blood of a lamb the Lord provided, the blood of the ram that was caught in a thicket that the Lord provided. The Lord will provide. The Lord will provide a Savior. The Lord will provide salvation. The Lord will provide the Lamb. Which brings me back to 1 Timothy 1.15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's what it's all about. And that is the seed that is promised. And that is the means by which Abraham's spiritual descendants will be as the stars of the heaven and the sand of the seashore, possessing the gates of their enemies. And in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Through Jesus, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Through Jesus, some of every tribe, tongue, and nation will be blessed. Because Abraham, you have obeyed my voice. Verse 18. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they rose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. To the glory of God. You might call this the gospel according to Abraham. <laughs> I have called it perseverance of the saints, God's preservation of the saints and perfecting of their faith. What did God ultimately reveal to Abraham? That he would provide the Lamb, the only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, for the redemption of sinners. What has God revealed to us? The same. The same magnificent truth.